Hello, anyone who's going to be joining us today on our new video for this week's sermon. I want to apologize because of the second week in a row, we didn't weren't able to have the live stream uh, with any sound. So you're going to have to get this sort of re-recorded in my home version. And unfortunately, I think that misses uh, so much of the flavor and uh, I don't know, movement of God as I'm speaking to a live audience. And so... Uh, you'll get the basics of what was going on, but I think you're unfortunately going to miss a lot of the, um, I don't know, some of the powerful interaction that happens uh, when something is together with the congregation. So, but at least it'll be the basics if you've been following along. So we're continuing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And so um, we're going to continue on our journey today with a message that focuses on God uh, bringing people back to himself. So Paul ended the last chapter by considering that the ultimate example of God's power was the resurrection of Jesus. Now Paul considers the implication of Jesus' resurrection power in our lives. Our passages are going to be about the idea of reconciliation without even using that particular word. So we'll see the need for the process and the conclusion of God's reconciliation of, of people to himself. It's as if there were three scenes of a movie. And here's the opening scene, scene one. The need for personal reconciliation to God. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So Bible uses many different pictures to describe the state of an unsaved person. Blind, a slave to sin, a lover of darkness, sick, lost, a child of wrath, under the power of darkness, and, and here uh, it uses dead. Even though you're alive now as a Christian, you mustn't ever forget where you came from. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. The idea behind the word transgression is that we have crossed a line. We've broken God's boundary, and we've done it on purpose. So God says, here's the line. Don't go past this. And, and a transgressor is one who says, well, I see the line. I'm going to go by past that on purpose. And so that's the idea of transgression. The idea behind the word sin in the original Greek, the word sin means to miss the mark. The perfect standards of God were simply not good enough. So transgressor speaks of a person who's a rebel. Sin speaks of a person who's a failure. Before you met Jesus, you were both. Ephesians 2.2 continues, You were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Used to live means that it should be different for those who are made alive by Jesus. Something changes. At one time, we lived in trespasses and sin, according to the course of this world, which is orchestrated by Satan, the ruler here. His authority is still very much active among those in rebellion against God. Satan's at work in those who are disobedient. This is kind of interesting. The same Greek verb used in Ephesians 2 2, Satan being at work in unbelievers, that's actually the same word used in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, for the power of God who works in believers. So we're all followers of something. Someone's at work in every human being. Spiritually, the options are Satan or God. And every decision we make points to the reality of who we're actually following. Paul continues the reminder in verse 3, Ephesians 2, 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So we need to, on occasion, be reminded that, that we've been delivered of, of what we've been delivered from, as well as what we've been lifted into. We've got to be willing to look down again into the pit, into the grave from which God called us, in which God pulled us out of. We've got to be willing and brave enough to look back at that and remember what we have come from. We once were among the sons of disobedience, proven by our conduct. We embraced the cravings of our flesh. This idea speaks to our decision to fulfill legitimate desires given by God in an illegitimate way. So, for example, sex. God gave us a legitimate desire and a legitimate outlet. Marriage. The sin is when we go outside the boundaries of God, when we transgress the boundaries of God. Likewise, God gave us a legitimate desire to worship. And the sin is when we turn to idols rather than to God. We have a legitimate means to satisfy that desire. Come to church, give our worship to God, place him in the place that he belongs. Or an illegitimate way, worship the things of this world. Our jobs, our lives, our families, all sorts of idols that we can put in the way of God. Now, each of us have in some way been down this path. We've all chosen sin. We're all deserving of wrath. Now, in my previous church, there was this guy who matched this section exactly. So he became a Christian, though, and he was getting baptized. But before this, he was in a gang. He was addicted to drugs. He was a drug dealer, so he was breaking the rule, don't smoke your stash, and he was. He was often drunk several times a week. He had a girlfriend who he was involved with, but he was also involved with multiple other women. Uh, he had been uh, involved in a, at least one drive-by shooting. Uh, he had done many thefts, both large and small, home invasion, uh, assaults, a couple of stabbings, and he was even involved in, in a murder. He was definitely deserving of wrath. At around, around the same time, there was another guy who was getting baptized, but without a similar rap sheet. This guy, he had lied once or twice and had on occasion disobeyed his parents. But that's it. I know this because he was my five-year-old son, Ethan. However, he too was definitely deserving of wrath. As much as the first guy, the second guy was deserving of wrath. Because it's not the amount of sin which damns you but the presence of any sin at all. The Bible's clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the tiniest infraction breaks perfection. Did you hear that? Even the tiniest infraction breaks perfection. All are deserving of wrath, and thus the necessity for reconciliation for every single human being. That's scene one. Scene two. The process of personal reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. With but and because 
Paul explained God's reason behind reconciling man to himself, and these reasons are found totally in God. The reasons, according to the verse, are his great love and his abundant mercy. When we were dead is when God started loving us. He didn't wait until we're lovable. He loved us when we were dead in trespass. There was nothing lovable about us. And we give him no reason to love us. Yet, in the greatness of his love, he loves us with that great love anyway. Therefore, you got to stop trying to make yourselves lovable to God and simply receive his great love while recognizing that we are unworthy of it. This is the, the secret of grace in the Christian life. And not just when we accept Jesus for the first time, but you've got to be open to receiving God's grace on a daily um, on a daily portion that, that all day long, that we need to receive the grace that Jesus has to offer us. This is what God did for those who are dead in the sin. He shared in our death so that we could share in his resurrection life. In each of us, the old dead person is made alive in Jesus. This is the work of God's grace in no way involving our own merit. Our salvation, our rescue, is God's work done for the undeserving. Paul continues, he says, And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a couple of times we've used the word grace, so let's return back and, and revisit that and, and remind ourselves what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited love and favor. Grace is a loving, favorable lean toward you, shown specifically in the free gift of salvation but then continued throughout the believer's life. This is the present position of the Christian. We have a new place for living, a new arena of existence. Though we dwell on earth, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong to or follow Satan, the prince of this world any longer. But now we follow the king of the universe, Jesus. We don't sit in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ yet, Instead, we sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Since our life and identity is in Christ, as he sits in heavenly places, so do we. In the future, God will continue to show his exceeding riches of his grace to us. God will never stop dealing with us on the basis of grace, and he'll continue to unfold his riches throughout eternity. God will deal with you in grace before you were a believer. He said, I love you even when you were an enemy. But you know what? Sometimes we become Christians and we think, well, now that I'm a Christian, God is going to deal with me on merit, that I have to earn his love or buy his love or continue uh, doing things so that he'll love me. But you know what? God deals with you in grace before you're a Christian. God deals with you in grace as you are a Christian. And God will deal with you in grace for eternity. God will always be dealing with you on the basis of his great love and his great grace for you. So that as a believer, God doesn't like me more because I go to more prayer meetings or, or I read the Bible more. Those are simply an outflow of the love that I've received from him. 
But sometimes we think, yeah, grace is for the non-believer. But when I become a believer, then it's not about grace anymore. Now it's about merit. But that isn't the case. That isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible is clear that it is grace before we're saved. It is grace while we're saved. And then it's grace in our eternity. He has as much grace as you need and then some. The Lord has as much grace as the whole universe will require and then some. All the demands that can ever be made on the grace of God will never impoverish him nor deplete his store of grace. There will remain an immeasurable reservoir of grace as full as when he first began to bless the first human being. Scene three, the conclusion of God's work of individual reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. The gift of God, the it in the middle part of this sentence, uh, it is the gift of God, is grace, not faith. In Greek, the antecedent is clear. The work of salvation is God's gift of grace, even to the undeserving. We aren't even saved by our faith, but we're saved by grace and we access it through our faith. So the precise form of these words here stresses two things, that salvation is entirely of God's grace, his free, undeserved favor to mankind. And second, salvation is presented as an accomplished fact, that you have been saved. There's no ambiguity or uncertainty. Salvation's price has been paid and it's freely offered to all. It's a free gift, not an earned wage. If salvation was the accomplishment of a person in any way, then we could boast about it. And we would. Man, I boast about when I get the high score on Galaga in like a broke down donut shop. I boast when the Clippers win one game in the middle of the season against the Lakers like yesterday. And I'm not even on the Clippers team, but I boast about it anyway. I boast if I get the correct time of arrival to a destination. When my kids were younger, sometimes we'd guess, what time do you think we'll get home when we were at a certain place? And we'd say, no, at, at 1.53, no, at 1.52, at 1.41. And every time that I got it correct, I would be like, yeah, and I would boast to my kids how great of a time guesser I am. So if I earned my own salvation, <laughs> I'd boast all eternity. But I can't, because I didn't. This ensures that under God's plan of salvation, he alone receives glory, and no one else gets to boast. Only God. The final scene ends with the triumphal result of reconciliation. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The love of God that saves your soul will also change your life. God is a transforming love, his love is. It meets us right where we're at. But when we receive this love, it always takes us to where we should be going. God saves you not merely to save you from the wrath that you rightly deserve, but also to make something beautiful out of you. You are his workmanship, a thing crafted. He's the ultimate microbrewer. Handcrafted, each of you a unique blend. And the beautiful thing 
that God is making each of you to be, it has the flavor of good works. Dead to the old life of evil works and alive to the new life of good works. That's fabulous. This is the result of his reconciliation. This is what flows from a grace-saved person, good works. I mean, that sometimes people worry about like, oh, if we talk about grace so much, then people are just going to go on and sin. They're going to go back to their old life of sin. But, but I'll tell you, if you truly receive God's grace, if you understand how much he loves you, and, and, and you sit in that day after day, and you receive it in the morning, and you receive it in the afternoon, and yes, you're going to mess up, but he knows that. He has grace for that. Your sins have been forgiven. And, and when you start to sit in this and you start to understand it, then sin will start to become repulsive to you. Good work will be your flavor, not because you're earning God's love, but because you're receiving God's love. Let's take a moment and just pray together. Pray a confession to God. God, we just thank you for your great love. Thank you for your boundless mercy. Thank you for your limitless grace to each of us. Thank you for the opportunity of reconciliation. Thank you for the provision of reconciliation. And God, thank you that out of reconciliation comes God, good works. And I pray for each of us to receive your love deeply inside of us. That we will sit this week in your grace. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you. Love you.